of you coming out on a Sunday morning to watch six grown belts cry? Yeah. <laughs> Final day limping across the finish line for some of us. Yeah. First day for others. Uh, my name is Riley Brandt. Um, I am the uh, Ringo Award winning creator of fine comics like uh, Aberrant, Banjax, and Suicide Jackies. And now The Jump, which I should say, uh, is my astral projection thriller. It's currently on Kickstarter. If you're into, um, you know, good sci-fi, um, it's kind of uh, Inception meets The Born Identity if it were Dripping with Macabre and directed by David Fincher. So, if that sounds like a good elevator pitch to you, I'm pretty proud of that elevator pitch, at the very least. Go hop on Kickstarter and check it out. Um, I'm also the co-host of the Telly Award-winning Writer's Block podcast. I host it with this fellow here, David Avalani. Um, and uh, it is a place where we have conversations like these um, with very smart, uh, uh, very amazing creators. Uh, the creators we have for you today are, um, I mean, they're, they're family, right? Um, uh, we've obviously all been through a trauma. Uh, when I say we, I mean all of you the here. World. And, and all of you who may be listening from other places. Um, but, uh, you know, the beauty of the show and the beauty of this comics community is that we weren't alone um, in doing any of this. We got to do it together. We got to support each other and prop each other up. And we're here to kind of talk through that a little bit. Um, I will hand uh, uh, I will hand the mic off now to David, and uh, one of you start steering the ship for us. Buddy. Yeah. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for thanks for coming out. Um, we started the writer's block during the pandemic largely because we missed exactly this. We missed seeing our friends and colleagues uh, at conventions, and we wanted a way to communicate with them while uh, uh, while everybody was at home in their pajamas. Uh, it also gave me an excuse to shave every once in a while, which I thought was pretty good, uh, so that I wouldn't look like uh, the Wolfman. Um, and uh, I am a comic book writer and a television writer and a bunch of other ridiculous things. If you want to look at the uh, results of a disordered mind and no concept of how a career works, uh, look up my IMDb page and see all of the nonsense that I've done in my life the past 35 years. Um, but uh, we are joined by this, these amazing creators. I'm going to go down the line and let them tell you a little bit about themselves, starting with Charlie Stickney. Hello. I'm the other way. We're going to go this way. All right. I it was just to throw you off. I, I literally just did it to Mission successful. <laughs> Curveball number one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm Charlie Stickney. I'm a comic book writer creator. I was also co-publisher of Scout Comics for about two and a half years. Uh, I'm a big creator rights advocate. Uh, I spend a lot of time on Kickstarter, which I think is a great place for new and emerging creators. And it's a great place for creators who uh, are established who actually want to make money in comics. And I think some of the things that we're going to talk about today is, are, is the shape and the state of the industry. And I think for me, the, the word is, is kind of in transition, in flux, and we're trying to figure out what that new version of the comic industry is going to be and hopefully it's gonna be a healthy one. And I think it's really an important time for, for creators to be aware of what's going on with different publishers, with different places, to find the right resources, to find the right other creators to talk to who can help them navigate this new and emerging path and uh, try to find the best board so we together can have a healthier industry. Thank you. So, that was so buttoned up and beautiful. And now, my, David, now David Brewer is going to bring some chaos. My, it's going to be the, the, the oral presentation of your uh, IMDb chaos, right? Yeah. Uh, my name is uh, David Brewer. Um, I write uh, books like Canto for IDW, Killer Queens for Dark Horse. Uh, I did some uh, all-new Firefly for a boom. And uh, my most recent one, which I'm very happy about, I'm, I'm a huge um, Dungeons & Dragons fan for Saturday morning cartoon. And so IDW is putting out, it comes out Wednesday, believe it or not, and nice. one, um, they're doing a series that's an adaptation of the, it's Saturday Morning Adventure, so it's an adaptation of the cartoon, so it's the, the that, advent, the, the, those adventurers, and Venger, and Dungeon Master, and Uni, Uni doing all kinds of cool stuff. Um, we're going to probably talk more about this, but I uh, was an attorney, or I'm current, I'm still an attorney, but I was practicing law for 17 years before the pandemic came, and I didn't, 
like my job wasn't at risk. I left being an attorney to write full time during the middle of the pandemic. That is so smart. So, so smart. it's a lot. Everybody has a lot. That is so smart. You let you stop being an attorney full time so that you could write comic books. I write funny books. You imagine that conversation with my parents? Yeah. And like you two, what, you went to school for what? Yeah. I'm like, look, it's not just a dragon. <laughs> 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 yeah, I got the, the, the best and worst one, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so it was a big, what's that? It was big, big um, transition during the pandemic, so that's, yeah. that's me. I'm John Stanford. Yeah. I love it. Barbara Dillon, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Hi, I'm Barbara Dillon. I am the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Fanbase Press. We are both a comic book publisher and a geek culture website. Ultimately, we love to not only support and give a voice to the creators that we publish, but also to those that we don't have the ability to publish, and there's so many out there. Um, so through daily reviews, interviews, podcasts, we get to share their voice with the world and also help them to find their audience as well. And I'm excited to be here amongst these people and honestly just hear what they have to say. That's, that's my point of view. And I want to say one more thing about Barbara. Not, it was only a couple of weeks into the shutdown. Uh, Barbara started something that is now called Comics and Coffee. It's a 10 a.m. Saturday morning call. Anyone can join it. It is mostly comics pros, of course. Uh, and it was it was way like our podcast, like the, the writer block. It was done to like keep these lines of communication and friendship open. And it, you know, I love the fact that three years later we're still doing both of these things because we're like, why weren't we always getting together at 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings and going over our, our, our victories for the week and how we survived and what we got through. So it's, it's an invaluable thing, and it's been an invaluable thing for me. And the lovely and talented Ray I think. Well, first I want to say, if I was being quite modest, uh, the advocacy that you do in our community is huge. So, thank you. Thank you. So I'm Ray Anthony Knight. I am a um, well, artist, writer, comic reader. Uh, I created Midnight Tiger, which was well, it was published by me, my own company. They got picked up by Action Lab, and that was a whole other story. <laughs> and uh, now the rights have reverted back to me, and uh, good things are coming oh, out of for that. So um, I've been working uh, in comics almost 20 years, mostly in Marvel. Uh, the last thing we did at Marvel uh, was Moon Knight number 20, where we introduced a new Fist of Country, me and Daddy Lore, uh, from 1977. Uh, so then we picked that one up, uh, just kind of a Blade, uh, Moon Knight, and a team up, so that was pretty awesome. Um, I worked a lot on Moon Girl and the Dinosaur. Um, if you were reading uh, X-Men Blue, uh, co-created the rock chef of the, basically the, the X-Men of uh, Madripoor uh, with uh, Colin Bunn. Um, so I've been in and around, I've, I've done storyboards for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and I just uh, am starting to branch out into my own studio called St uh, Studio Sky Tiger. I'm trying to get a thousand subscribers on my Substack, so reach that, you know, mm -hmm. help, me, help me with that. But uh, um, at that point, I'm basically going to be uh, creating my own IP and also uh, lending my services and my assistant services out to anybody who wants, you know, cover or comic art or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's the next stage in my career. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, for, thanks, thanks to all of you for joining us um, and for being on the panel with me, Brian. And, uh, you know, I, when I was thinking about the pandemic years, the last three years we've been through, I really honestly think you have to go back to 1946 to find something that affected everyone on the planet uh, in a negative way. Like, there's probably a small village in South America that did not engage in a serious way with the Second World War, but most of the planet did in one way or another. They knew someone that left, they knew someone that died, they knew someone that went overseas to fight, whatever. And uh, the COVID pandemic had that effect on the planet. Luckily, it didn't kill as many people, but uh, it affected all of our lives and our little struggling niche industry that we all love. 
Uh, all of the shops closed. Uh, they stayed closed for quite some time. For some of us, that was our, our livelihood and our revenue stream, and we all had to find different ways to survive and to get through it, uh, you know, uh, beyond uh, taking unemployment and sitting on the couch and crying. So, uh, you know, I sort of want to go down and say, and see, you know, how did, how did you get through it and what did you do and what were your coping strategies? We did talk about the Saturday morning call, which was a big part of it for us, but Ray, we'll start with you. How did you handle it? How was it for you? Very little changed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, most of the job was at home. You know, Dad's Squad World uh, does its thing outside. Uh, so for, you know, freelance artists, um, yeah. we're still doing our thing. But I ended up basically being a coach for my wife who had to come home. She works in corporate America, used to go into the office every day. And when um, she came back, I was like, what the heck am I going to do at home? <laughs> so. We set up this office and, and moved an apartment in LA for a while before we moved to Long Beach. Um, and we kind of like, you know, kind of grew her through the whole thing. And now, uh, two years later, um, she never wants to go back to that. Sure. <laughs> but were you still getting work from publishers? Were you oh, still yeah. I mean, stuff? Okay, so in that vein, it was some of the best stuff that kind of happened to me during that time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I got to work on Star Wars. I was contacted to do that with Dr. Afra, and I also got to work on uh, Constantine's story mm -hmm. at DC, and it was my first DC work. So now, and I'm going to be doing more DC work too. Um, the only thing, though, I would say that affected in a negative way is that projects that were slated to happen, mm -hmm. you know, it was a pandemic, it was other things going on during that time, they, they basically shut me down. And uh, that was scary. It was a scary time because is everything going to be shut down? Or, you know, going to all have to change jobs? You know, I mean, my whole life is geared towards making comics, you guys. So if I can't make comics, I guess I'm going to be cooking breakfast uh, for my wife. <laughs> you know, which was awesome too. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I mean, coping. I mostly talk to other people. That was the other thing. I talked to so many people, because most of us are usually busy, right? And when that time opened up, well, what are you doing? What happened to you? You know, we kind of talked each other through things. Yeah, so. Yeah, that community was a big part of how we, how we survived. And yeah, it did change what you were able to work on. I mean, the, the immediate effect for me, of course, and I think for a lot of us is, if you looked at the map of the United States, that had the little red dots where the COVID outbreaks were, mm. The end of March, the biggest, reddest one was literally over the convention center in Seattle, where we had all booked travel to go to Emerald City. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to Emerald City. And they took forever to cancel that convention. Uh, they, they were playing a game of chicken with the city and the Board of Health, and eventually someone blinked and they, they closed it down. Well, I remember calling Alaska Airlines and saying, I need a refund for this ticket. And they're like, oh, we're not getting refunds. They're like, Oh, you're going to be giving them. <laughs> I was like, it's funny that you think that now, but you're actually going to refund. There's thousands of these. There was some theater in all of that because you know I I, I got a, a peek behind the curtain a couple of times at the planning of the Baltimore Comic Con during all of this stuff because I was I helped out loosely with bringing it online after uh, in-person conventions were closed. But they have to be very careful about how they play their hand publicly because there are all these insurance uh, uh, issues that happen. So the, w w with the Baltimore Comic Con, they have to pay a very large sum of money uh, uh, before, you know, before this con is over, they have to put down a ton of money to secure the convention center for the next con, right? But then a pandemic happens. Uh, you're not getting that money back unless you meet certain criteria that the insurance company lays out, and so they have to they have to do this theatrical dance and public thing like, oh no, no, we're we're taking it right up to the edge, and they can't say we're canceling it or we're refunding anything. Otherwise, their insurance payment's not coming. So they, there, there's all this weird math and all of, all these weird you know intricacies that go on behind that. But but yeah, I mean that caused a that caused a near riot. Yeah, no, I knew people that like they their their comics that they were going to sell and their art was like sitting in the lobby of a hotel in Seattle waiting for them to show up. You know, 
like, shit, that stuff a week early, or two weeks early, and they're like, uh, can you send that back? Can you send it back? Well, they remember that, and they're like, we'll just do it in two weeks. Well, yeah, yeah. Everybody stays yeah. over two weeks. They kept pushing that off, and it was, it was ridiculous. But yeah, also, again, Gage jobs got canceled, and you know, I remember when I got the phone call to put, you know, pencils down. Pencils down, and uh, you know, and you had to find other things. And you know, and we learned, for example, that Diamond, the monopolistic distributor of all comics, you might have thought they had more than two weeks in the bank. To survive, they did not. <laughs> so, like, they laid everybody out. But so it was a, it was a kind of time for all that, and uh, you know, you had to find uh, other things to do and other ways to do it. Yeah, it was, it was wild because um, we got the pencils down, right? And then when it was pencils up, it was like, oh my goodness, we need to go at triple time. Yeah, stuff out. Yeah. And so we were, all, you know, as creators, we were just kind of like. If you're just sitting around going, well, we don't know what's going to happen, and the editors, you know, call or, or you know, say, okay, well, we need this by yesterday. Yeah. You, you could have told, like, when we were sitting here waiting for you to tell us. You could yeah, have I, we, I could have actually been writing. Yeah, yeah but no, I don't say that. that. Here's the thing. I mean, they're yeah. not, they don't know. Yeah, they didn't know. They probably didn't know what was happening. Yeah. So. yeah, but like, Diana, I remember we did three Kickstarters that year. Because they were like, well, stores are closed, but people are in their homes with a little bit of disposable income, maybe we'll buy, buy a comic book that way. So we ended up doing three Kickstarters over like a seven month period. Uh, just I to think keep that going. really pulled through yeah. a lot of the shops. Yeah. Because maybe you can talk about this with White Ash and, and shops. Well, like cutting out the Yeah, it was, it was a really interesting time. And I think when you look at um, an event like this, disruption, that always gives everyone a chance to sort of look at how things have been done. Yeah. And really things in comics have been done one way for probably 25, maybe 30 years, where 98% of, the, of the, the revenue in comics worked one way. It was stores put in their pre-orders, uh, Diamond gave those numbers to publishers, publishers printed, books were shipped to stores, but that's it. That was, and then, then you'd have ancillary revenue that would come in through the bookstore market. And like that was, that was comics. And when the pandemic hit, um, because it stopped that chain and, and, and made you realize, uh-oh, this is a very fragile ecosystem and maybe we shouldn't be putting all our eggs in one basket, it gave publishers uh, at the time, so I was in a really interesting position at the time, because so I had come to Scout as a creator. We had started putting out White Ash. Um, so we put out two issues of that, and then all of a sudden it stopped distributing. So that was bad for me as a creator. Um, however, uh, at the time, because I had come from Kickstarter, where I had come from self-publishing, which was a very different revenue stream, a different way of going direct to consumer, that was one of the reasons why Scott was looking at me like, we need to figure out what we're gonna do going forward. We need people who are not sort of entrenched in the way things have always been done. And so they brought me in to sort of help them navigate a path going forward. And there were a lot of discussions, and for, for, for Scout, we quickly had a direct-to-retailer program. And so Scout started shipping direct. Uh, DC was going to Lunar, which was a merging new um, retailer, and Scout quickly got on that platform. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, internally there was a lot of discussions about, let's not be holding to just that one path. We want to be everywhere. We want to make our books available, however people want to get them. But also at the same time, as a creator who was still doing things on Kickstarter, because I had, even though I was part of Scout, I had carved that out as my own sort of like territory, because I never wanted to give up what I was doing because it was really successful. Kickstarter started booming, and um, that became a, a more established base. It went from a place where it was just a couple of people, like there were one or two books that we thought were good, and everything else was maybe people who couldn't get a publisher to all these established names starting to come. And, and personally for me, and I hate to say this, it was great because I already had a brand that had slowly been built up on Kickstarter. Then Kickstarter got supercharged and it helped me have one of the, you know, the biggest brands on Kickstarter, which was an amazing place to be. And at the same time, it was gonna help the company. But it, 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 I think, and this is what I'll just come down to, this. the problem is there was a big boom that happened in comics because of disruption. Because as soon as everything reset, like, okay, well now we're doing things through Lunar, 
and everyone was at home, and people had all this disposable money and nothing to do, they started pumping it into things like comics. Because, um, you know, like there's only so many places you could stream from at the time. So comics got this huge influx of revenue. Uh, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the stores and publishers overexpanded, taking that revenue. And rather than playing the long game, and this is something anyone getting into publishing needs to understand, there are going to be boom years and bust years, and you have to play the long game. A lot of people didn't. And so they spent money like, you know, this was going to be the new status quo going forward. And right now we're in a time of resetting because the market's returning to normal. And a lot of shops have overexpanded, a lot of publishers have overexpanded, and now everyone is sort of feeling that tightening of belt, and they don't have the sustainable cash flow in place to, to support their new infrastructure. So that's my uh, view on the state of commerce. Yeah, and and I, I, I can think of two shops in Los Angeles that closed in the last you know year uh, for a lot of reasons, partially you know, some mismanagement, honestly, but some not being able to deal with the, the pressures of what's happened in the last two, three years. Plenty of them are hanging out by a thread also. Yeah. But, 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 but I mean, to illustrate some of the, the points that all these guys are making, I mean, um, I mean, my story, I think it starts where Ray was and then uh, continues on to where David was and then ends where, where, where Charlie was. Um, you know, I was in the traditional publishing game and I had two books that were set to go with, you know, good middle tier publishers and um, I won't name those right now because maybe I'll get in trouble depending on what I say. Um, but one was very close. I mean, we were actually, um, there was like a draft of an announcement and we were, um, we were slotting it for release. We were picking dates. Um, and it went from, uh, you know, I was, I was communicating with two or three people at the company every day. Um, and then suddenly it was pencils down and all hell broke loose, and then most everyone at the company was let go. And overnight, I, I went from communicating with two or three people every day to not having a working email address at the company. <laughs> yeah. And it took a few months to sort that out. Who's, who's going to be hired? Um, uh, you know, who is, who's going to be in charge of the book? Uh, are there going to be people who actually, you know, again, the first conversations are, what, what book again? No, I, I don't, we don't, we don't have any record of that. <laughs> it's like, can you please contact these two people? <laughs> and just, can I forward you these messages? There's that sort of thing. It ended up being a huge mess that was going to take a long time to uh, to uh, to play out. And um, so, as all this was happening, um, you know, Charlie and you know maybe another person or two like Charlie had always been on me about, hey, there is an incredible opportunity on Kickstarter right now. Um, and when the pandemic hit. And it was pencils down, and people were losing jobs and getting laid off and stuck at home. Uh, people were terrified of Kickstarter, meaning um, uh, creators, because it's like, okay, well, people are losing their jobs. Can I actually go on Kickstarter and, and sell a premium comic experience? Um, and so uh, basically, people were holding stuff back. You know, Kickstarter had fewer comic projects than ever before uh, for a very long time. And Kickstarter got a little bit worried, and finally, you know, they looked at the numbers and they're like, wait a minute, there are more backers on than ever. Uh, there are people looking to back things. We don't have the projects. So Kickstarter, through people like Charlie, you know, uh, 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 you know these people who, are, who you know, in, in a very good way, evangelize, you know, for Kickstarter, um, uh, you know, they got word out and, and said, hey, we need projects. There are people who want to back projects, so so bring your projects. And Charlie came to me and said, "Hey man, if you ever want to do this, it is time." And so I brought issue one of the jump on the, on the to, to Kickstarter, and it was um you know for for a first book, it was a a, a very great success. In short, sweet, I did three Kickstarters in seven months, or not seven months. You said seven months. I did three Kickstarters in a year, um, and um, and maybe that was a little too much for me at the time. <laughs> I was, uh, I, was, I was very much limping across the finish line at the end of that, but, um, but it, it got me through. When, and, when did you do those? Big stories, the first ones? Um, for 2020? Uh, it was 20, 2021. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, everybody was sitting home for two years scrolling on the internet, so yeah. why not, right? Yeah, yeah it was, I mean, Kickstarter's amazing because it's like, I, you know, I, I had for, you know, uh, you know, more than a few years put books out in comic shops, and it could be like shouting in the Grand Canyon, you know, you put these books out there, and you, you pour your heart and soul into them, and they're meaningful to you, and, 
you know, people hit you up on Twitter and you get to come to cons and meet people here and there, but it's like, but it's not, it is not this like interactive comic party. And when you get on Kickstarter, I mean, you are building the book with your backers, right? And you are, you are, the book, the experience is constantly being shaped by your backers. And so there is like immediate and constant feedback in the best way. I mean, sometimes if, if you know, if you're fucking up, we're gonna let you know. And so that can be unpleasant, but, but hopefully it gets you back on track. But, um, but yeah, and I, um, I, I had to take two years off of Kickstarter uh, uh, because, you know, film TV got really busy for me, but I am back now. And, um, and I'm, I'm having a great time again, you know? So, it's yeah, there for all of us. You know, and, and again, going back to the, when, it, when, the, when the pandemic hit, I had a trade paperback of my Kickstarter that was gonna come out into the bookstores and comic book shop, and our release date was April 30th, 2020. Ooh. And you know, I, 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 we, I talked to my partner on it, and I was like, "What are we gonna do about this? You know, do you want to fill these anyway?" And hope for the best. And he said, "Brother, these, we don't know that the shops that order these still exist. Like, I, you know, he's like, I hate to be dark, but we could print these books, and they could sit outside a locked gate <laughs> uh, and never be seen by human eyes, except the guy that throws it in the dumpster." You know, like so, we gotta actually retool and, and come back to this again. You know, Kanto, uh, the first trade for Kanto um, came out on March 18th of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bought it. March 19th or something. <laughs> um, so I just pictured Indiana Jones for its like, closing. Yes, Kanto trade, right? One of the uh, great stories from the pandemic uh, is. Drew Zucker, who's the artist and my co-creator on Kanto, uh, he did he drew a fantastic horror book called The House that they did on Kickstarter a few years before the pandemic. And it did well and they had a lot of inventory. And so when the shop shut down, when Diamond shut down, there was no distribution, uh, he and Philip Seavey, who was the writer on this, went to all the shops and said, hey, would you mind giving this a shot? We'll sell it to you at cost. We'll basically be your distributor. We'll send you five copies, and you can sell them on your live stream or, or how, you know, mail, whatever you want to do. And they sold, the, the, I mean, it was like a thousand copies or something over a few months when they had sold maybe half of that over like three years. So it was these, these books like Wiredash and like The House and the Creator of Books that really buoyed the shops when the, during the first um, during, during the early part of the shutdown because they uh, they were they stepped up for for, for diamond was this void yeah well, so, it, 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 yeah I think it's this repeating theme is that I mean it was like you know this this asteroid hit the business right I mean it was tough and I feel like anybody that stuck to their guns and continued doing business the way they had always done business really really sank right um, but there were these waves that you could ride. And, and that, that's what I described, that's what you described, where it was just like, you, you, you had to keep your eyes open, you had to see them coming, but you could, you know, there were opportunities. Um, and, and I think that, I mean, everywhere, but in this business in particular, um, you know, the, those ways, of, I, I mean, for even the film business for me, I mean, I, I, I'd written Hollywood for, you know, I don't know, 12 plus years before the pandemic hit. And, um, you know, I, I I'd done well and stayed employed and, you know, bought my house and all that stuff, but in terms of my stuff, uh, you know, specifically my movies, not something I was hired to write, but my movies getting made, it was really tough. I, I, I was on the was on the two yard line probably a dozen a dozen times, right? And and, and you know, whatever, some some meteor with it and uh, and and you know it, it wouldn't work. Um, you know, but then there were these waves, and um, you know, short and sweet. Uh, you know, had had two films shot. Uh, uh, you know, over the course of the pandemic, that will come out this year. Um, have another one going into production this year. Um, so the TV series, the Lionsgate, that we're we're you know doing all the network conversations for last week and this week, and um, there were those waves, you know, and and if you were looking for them, uh, uh, they were there, and they weren't there before. And I think that that's it, because when we do these panels, we have these conversations, we do have this tendency to concentrate on, oh, this really sucks, and this ruined this, and this closed, and all of that stuff. But I think now we're starting to get a little hindsight and perspective on some of this. And I mean, we're, we're all in pretty good places. And that's, and that's pretty astounding. And I think it speaks to our 
our resilience and our creativity, uh, and I think in us banding together too, because because a lot of these things again, what, I mean, my, maybe I maybe I stop making comics at that point if Charlie doesn't reach out and say, hey, you have to pivot. Um, and you know, I think that's 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 interesting. I think it's I think it's important to cover that side. Adaptability. As I say, so if anyone wants to know, it's my fault that he's still in any business. Adaptability is key, and you know, I, you know, I'm like the first. I'm Gen X, born in '65, and computer, like the first computer class I had. We didn't have computers. I had a sheet of paper on which I wrote a basic program by hand. I wasn't even typing it on a typewriter. I was writing basic by hand. Because that is the skill of the future. Programming in basic. Yeah. My, foreign, my, my flying car and talk about it. But, uh, but that, you know, I, I went to school for film. And by the mid-90s, I've never a computer guy. I don't like computers. Don't want to have anything to do with computers. If I don't learn computers, I am not editing motion pictures ever again. So I should like my skills at properly taping together piece, two pieces of celluloid, no longer required by anyone. You know, it's like so I had to completely like throw out the Victorian tool set that I had learned in college, and like I, I guess I'm a computer guy now. I'm going to do this thing because otherwise I won't be able to keep doing what I do. So you always have to have your eye on the evolution of the thing you do, and if choose to ignore it completely, it's very hard to keep getting more done. I wanted to hear from Barbara, we haven't heard from you, your experience with it and how you got through it. Well, first I want to say, just to kind of echo and, and summarize what folks were saying, I think what really did get the industry through the pandemic is the adaptability, to use that word again, and resiliency of creators on a whole, but also the, the melding and kind of the breaking down of barriers or walls between the industries within comics. And by that I mean comic book creators, publishers, but I'm going to extend that even further to librarians and to educators, because those were the walls that, you know, a lot of times creators ourselves didn't know, how do I get my book into schools? How do I get my book into libraries? And what was wonderful, honestly, what was a savior for us is just leading up to the pandemic, we had made partnerships with wonderful organizations like Library Passes Comic Plus, Comics Plus, uh, Hoopla. Um, these are wonderful organizations who make direct inroads or who are oftentimes led by librarians and educators with folks who know what they're looking for and the direct way in. So this digital comics and these inroads with libraries and schools saved us through the pandemic, but also have completely blown up how much reach we have internationally, which is really incredible and so beneficial for creators who, yeah, when, when everything shut down, comic convention shut down for independent publishers like us, that was our main revenue stream. I mean, if we're not on the con floor selling comics, how on earth are we going to reach people aside from what we already have with, uh, you know, social media platforms? Um, but things like Kickstarter, other crowdfunding uh, platforms, this is, this is really what saved the industry. I mean, it's really amazing. And, and I can't underscore enough how these, these partnerships that have formed, not just with librarians, educators, comic readers, but even on Facebook, I remember, there were these wonderful organizations and this beautiful meld of comic readers and retailers mm -hmm. that happened, that said, hey, we're both struggling. We're in this together. How can we just, let's break down the middleman, let's break down the distributor. How do we just make this happen? Plan C. Yeah, J yeah Plan C is an amazing retailer. She tried to organize all kinds of things during the pandemic, also helping shops figure out how to do live streams on Facebook. So, you know, if, if there's one retailer that I would say single-handedly saved probably 20% or 30% of the stores out there, it was Jen King. Uh, she's an amazing figure and an amazing person. And you see what she's doing now, which is a lot of the same things that she did during the pandemic, like live streaming and um, using yeah. Facebook to get to her customers and her audience. And it's just so great to see. We see so many of these lessons that we should have learned during the pandemic. Now, also, you know, also, comics. We should have yeah. learned a lot of lessons, but it doesn't seem like they did learn. All But it's so wonderful to see that kind of thing. She's reinvented what it means to be a comics retailer, I think, yeah. with streaming. And it's, again, wonderful to see. Yeah. We don't use the tools that we have available because we're stuck using the old ways. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, in clowns, it's a new era. We are in a new era of comics. I actually get that feeling when the image creators uh, left, mm -hmm. and it created a whole new platform for other creators. That's what's happening now with Kickstarter, with when we talk about the libraries getting involved. That's why I want to give some credit to uh, Penguin and Scholastic mm -hmm. and, and all these folks who reached out to comic creators to put these books together. And they're like, oh, well, here's a comic here. We have more comics. Comics reached a huge boom during that time. Like it really did. And, but we did it our way. The adaptability. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's going to continue to come up with resiliency. It's amazing right now. And, and the communication between creators online, people who are otherwise scared to make, uh, you know, to create any books, who maybe they, they got that experience of getting or something like that, but the community that we built gave everyone a voice. Yeah, yeah. And also just, just to add to that, I think it's, it's something that's happened in music, and it's something that's happening in, you know, in some other parts of the entertainment industry where there was a traditional path, you know, where you had publishers, where you had, you know, these, these music companies who were doing the distribution. And at the end of the day, it wasn't a direct path from creator to consumer. And if you're a comic book creator, Traditionally, your customers have never been the people who read the books. The publishers are selling the stores. And stores have a different agenda in terms of what they're trying to buy. And so it's, it's, it's a really kind of twisted system. If, if you're writing stories, you have to advertise to the stores and tell the stores why they should buy your stories, not the people who are going to be reading the books. And so I think one of the things that's happened out of the pandemic, it started happening in comics the way it's been happening in music online and other things, is creators are realizing, hey, we should be building our own fan bases. We should be able to put our content out directly to our fans, create that revenue stream, so we're taking that piece of the pie. And then if we're working with a publisher, you know, and publishers are great, and stores are great, that's a different audience. You know, now we're doing like, I, I always look at Kickstarter, and I'm using this analogy today, because in traditional publishing, there was the hardcover version of a book and the mass market paperback. So when I'm on the Kickstarter, I think of that as the hardcover. That's for my premium fans. It costs a little bit more. It's a slightly nicer edition. And then at the end of the day, I'm also going to release that direct market, mass market paperback edition, which is still a great book. And it's going to go to more people at a cheaper price point, but it's two different audiences. But that first audience pays for the book. The second audience is maybe your profit. Well, yes, it, it, it's always been a thing in the professional arts. You will. You will never be your publisher's number one priority. Never. <laughs> you will never, I mean, you might be one week, you know, they might, you might have a good week, but you're the person who it has your best interest at heart. You are the person to whom you are the top priority. Unless you, yeah, no, there are, there are 800 pound gorillas, yes. believe me, and it's, it's great to have one on your side. But uh, even so, uh, you are you are the ambassador for everything that you do on your brand, and I have to say, I, as an aside, if you're a comic book creator, don't forget the retailer. Those people need to be your friends. They need to be your biggest fan, because when someone it's it's like if you're an auto, you know, you're the world's smallest automaker, and you ignore the car dealerships. I don't get those people. I don't, I don't need to know their names. I don't even know what they're doing. No, you need that when someone walks in a comic book store and says, make a, make, a, make a suggestion to me, comic book store owner, they go, oh my god, this new thing from Rand and Heidi is fantastic. You gotta read this thing. And you know, and uh, since pretty early in my career, when I travel anywhere, I always like Google comic book store, walk in. Now, if I look at the shelves and it's DC, Marvel, and Walking Dead and nothing else, I'm like, nothing of mine is in this yard. I'm, I'm good. I don't need to talk to this guy. But uh, but if they have you know a dynamite book or some indie comics, I'm like oh, yeah, you know, I need to sign this small pile of Elvira's and Dalimer, and uh, and uh, so. But if you meet them, and the thing is, people who feel outside of what they consider to be the cool kids club of the clique of the people who make the art, they when you make a personal connection with them. Same thing as your fans. You develop a fan for life. 
you know, when you talk to someone and give them your real focus and you are honestly interested in what they have to say, you, you have created a soldier in your army who will die for you. This is a true story. And I've seen it happen and it's a beautiful thing. I've been in comic book stuff, shops like browsing and heard the owner go, oh, you know, this is great. And David Mahoney's right here. It's not in for well, it, it, yeah, I mean, the important, yeah, the important thing is it works both ways. Because you, uh, I mean, it, you know, you earn that by becoming a soldier in their army too. I mean, you go to, I mean, you go to a comic shop and you're like, how can I add value? To, how can I get people in your door? How can I, and signing books is a big thing. Um, Take a picture with the owner. Yeah, if you have signing there, get twenty people down there. You know, to, to buy books. I, you know, I remember when we, um, I had this aberrant launch party. Um, at a, a comic shop downtown, and um, you know, uh, we made it this big celebration. I got 30 creators down there uh, to sell their wares, right? And it was good for those 30 creators because there were all these other people around who loved comic books and bought that. Yeah, 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 it was. And we made it a celebration of uh, Meltdown had just closed. So we did this Meltdown reminiscing panel celebration down there. Turned into a huge party, but I remember the. Um, I remember the comic shop owner coming up to me, and they, they had several locations around, uh, you know, Southern California. And he just said to me, he's like, you know, um, there's this computer system that tracks the day everyone has, right? It's like, well, this location did this much, this location did this much. He's like, I I've been the manager here for two years. We've never won our day until today. Thank you. <laughs> like, you, you won us our day, and that was, that's a trophy that's sitting on his mantle forever now, you know? Um, and I think with all of us, you know, um, it was a similar thing where one, we recognize that, oh, we're dealing with good people. We're dealing with people who are, who are honest and, and who, who properly went up around them. But it's like, okay, well, well, you know, we can help each other through this. Yeah. If I fall down, the raise going to pick me up. If Harley falls down, I'm going to pick her up. And, and on and on and on. So um, but it's but I think you only, you only get through this life, you only get through this business, you only get through anything with with soldiers in your army and being a soldier in someone else's army. I think that that's if, if you take one thing from this talk from this panel today, I think that that's the important thing is um is be there for people and they'll be there for you. Yeah. yeah, and that the real trick is, you know, find your crew. Uh, in any creative career, find the find find the writer guys, find the people who will be there for you and support you. Uh, and, and you know the thing that's great about kindness and helping people is it is a closed loop. It is a self-sufficient. You know, kindness is returned with kindness. Not always. Sometimes, sometimes you throw a good deed into the void, and then you know you you, you wait to hear it hit bottom, and it never does. You know? Okay. Lesson learned, I never have to do that again. Uh, but you, you see the people who show up for you on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and you remember that. And you know, and those are the people who you said, hey, have you read the new book? Uh, that really not out, it's fantastic. And, and that's, as long as you do that, you can, you can prosper doing this. And that's sort of, to, to sort of wrap up the, the, our overall thing here, all crises and disasters are crucibles, are stress tests. The pandemic was a huge stress test for the world, and we saw a lot of things that were already not very workable fall apart very quickly. And we saw what didn't fall apart, and we saw that the people who improvised, and we figured out one of my favorite lines in a movie that no one remembers called The, the Way of the Gun, is a plan is a list of things that aren't going to happen. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and I'm someone who's a big planner. I have a big belief in planning, but uh, I'm also a, a, a student, little bit of a student of military history. And Grant didn't beat Lee because he had better plans. Grant beat Lee because when they came to him and said, it's not going well, he went, okay, here's what we're doing now. We're going to throw out the thing I talked about over coffee this morning. That was clearly garbage. We are now going to give it to the new thing that I just came up with over the cigar. Everybody so, has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, like Tyson. Tyson. Or has children. <laughs> <laughs>
that's a big punch in the face 30, 40 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This morning. Punch in the face, kicked in the groin the whole night. Like, just to be here. My wife said, you know, you can go to the pond as many days as you want as long as you're there to get up with the kids in the morning. So I go back to LA every night and and uh, yeah, with them in the morning, and they are so cute. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the, you know, it's, it's about the, the people who can figure out how to deal with it and how to survive and how to get out of water, that's who's left standing. And the people who couldn't are out of business. And that's, you know, that's, it's not nice and it's not fair, but that is, that is the history of the world and we're stuck with it. And, uh, you know, the best we can do is be on each other's team and help each other get through these things. And again, like Charlie McGrodman was like, and you encourage people to do their thing and you know, be their best self and do their best work. Yeah. And that's uh, that's really all you can, that's the best I can do for anyone on a positive film. <laughs> but uh, I wanna go down the road now and uh, where can people find you and where can So, um, and I just wanna to piggyback on that point because I think it, it's so important. Uh, I've gotten to know most of these people on the panel. Ray and I are just getting to know each other, but yeah. these other people I've known for now for the last three years, and they could not be more supportive unless they're Barbara, and they are the most. But like, just really great people in comics, and I, and I guess someone who works in other aspects of the entertainment industry, comic people are the best. <laughs> and then the more people that you can bring into your tribe, Williams from the front row is also an amazing person. But the more people that you get to know, they support you and make it easier. I think it's a hard industry. So the more of those people that you can find who help lift you up and you in turn lift them up, the better it's going to be. Anyway, you can find me at 1208 downstairs. I have my own booth. If anyone wants to talk about self publishing, crowdfunding, I'm happy to talk with you about that. And I also say to, to, to just so why are people in comics? some of the nicest people in the professional arts. There's a really staring right there in the face answer. It doesn't pay well. <laughs> so the sharks who are into, like the best thing that ever happened to the movie industry was the tech industry. Because if you remember the 80s and 90s in the movie industry, middle management was all MBAs who thought it would be cool to make movies. Thank God they discovered the internet and became tech bros. And we still have, it's not like we don't have shitty middle managers in the movie industry anymore, but the, the, the metric ton of MBA, you know, Ivy League MBAs who would now rather be in a startup in the Bay Area. Take them, God bless you. But uh, comics, you can't make a dime at it. It's very, very hard, it's a lot of work. So you, if you're a shark, you get out of it. You, you burn out pretty, pretty fast. But, uh, speaking of money in comments, did I tell you that I left being in a giant? So, I just want to say Charlie is absolutely correct if you want to ask any advice um, about crowdfunding or printing comments. He was there because the first thing I did when I came to the comment was go straight to Charlie, Charlie's table and say, Can you teach me how to print comments? <laughs> Where do I go? What do I do? So, thank you for that. Um, you can find me at uh, 1021. I'm doing a kind of a, a unique setup where I'm with a retailer, TC's Rockets. I roll table there, doing signings all day today. Um, and then you can find me on social media. It's uh, Instagram is David M. Brewer. Uh, I'm on WhatNot at David Brewer, Twitter, David Brewer. And, uh, I don't know how Facebook works, so it's just my face on, on the website. Yeah, look, yeah, so that's where you can find me. And, and if you are in your shop, that's this Wednesday, Dungeons and Dragons. Your adventure begins. Uh, you can find Gungus Press downstairs in the small press area. We're at SP99. Uh, we're on all of the social medias as Gungus Press. Um, and if you have time, directly after this panel, head on over to the 213 CD. David and I will be talking about what uh, healthy queer representation in comics looks like. So if you'd like to join that conversation, please do so. But otherwise, I'll be downstairs right after. I'm not at WonderCon, only for this particular David is actually a hologram. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I have no room for anything, but uh, you can find me at Studio Sky Tigers High School with uh, SKY. Um, that is my brand, and uh, it's a, a substack where uh, we're producing comics and um, my art. Um, 
when you get to hear me kind of, you know, read uh, some of my rants and I reveal a lot of things about working in this industry. I'm also on Instagram at Art of R.A. Height, so Ray Anthony Height. Um, and I post a bunch of stuff there. Uh, you know, I do want to say this. Every person I've met in the comic industry, or let's just say a lot of my lifelong friends have been met because of the comic industry. You know, once you click with people in this industry, it's, you can't get rid of them. You know, and, and it's like we're in a, a constant battle. Uh, and we're in the trenches together, and some of those bonds they, they last forever. You know, I've been invited to uh, weddings, and you know, even asked to officiate one. And I was like, that will take you know, giving a license and all that. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's awesome. So if you're if you're here because you love comics, I'm gonna assume uh, definitely you know enjoy your tribe, enjoy everybody. Uh, I am at Rowling Grant on all forms of social media. That is R Y L E N D G R A N T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents just kind of correctly arrange letters and saddle me with it, so now I have to spell it for everyone. Um, the Jump, uh, my astral projection thriller, is uh, on Kickstarter right now, so pop over there and do it. Uh, I also happen to be um, an ordained minister, so if you can do it. Hit me up. I'm legal. So, in most cases. I'm totally not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm David Avaloni. Uh, you can just thank you to Grandpa's website, uh, davidavalonifreelance.com. That branches off to all of my social media. I want to thank everybody for joining us here. Uh, it's just a really great group of people. And uh, my next thing coming out, go into your comic book store and ask them why they have not ordered Elvira in Monsterland number one. They will say, oh, we got a lot of that from then. It's fine. You're fine. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's May 17th. And a bunch of other stuff coming up pretty soon, but that's the, that is the very next time. Thank you so much for joining us uh, early on a Sunday morning, and uh, have a great rest of your time. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.